Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Good Old Days. We tend to view the past using rose-colored glasses, but should we? This show delves into the dark recesses of human history to see if the good old days were truly the good old days. This is Kinsey, and I'm the Moonwalk Dance Old. And this is Ellie, and I'm the Macarena Old. We say this every time, and we mean it. We can't grow our podcast without your support. So if you enjoy this, go on your favorite platform and give us a five-star review. Doesn't matter what you say, but your ratings can help us get discovered by other listeners so we can keep bringing you these morbid and absurd moments in history. Also, please email us and let us know your thoughts or just to say hi. If you know of an event we need to cover, shoot us a message. We also still have a few more stickers, so if you want one, please go on our website and sign up. We want you to take your sticker, post a picture, and tag us using hashtag OhTheGod Sticker Squad. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can search for OhTheGod on all major platforms or just by going to our website and clicking the link to save yourself searching and scrolling. You know, the other day, I took a friend of mine. Now, my friend, I'm not going to say her name, but she's in her late 40s, almost 50, and I took her to a mosh pit. We saw the interrupters. <laughs> and... Uh, to kill her. <laughs> I was trying to make her enjoy herself and play. Dinrups is a good band and they throw on a good show. But yeah, she enjoyed the mosh pit and didn't have too many scars. That's good. I've heard some horror stories from what happens to people in mosh pits. <laughs> Especially when you're as tiny as she is. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dangerous place to be. You know, I was kept trying to get the crowd to lift her, but apparently they don't do that anymore. There's no more crowd surfing. What? Since when? I don't know. I was disappointed. Like, people would just not lift her. You were in a bad crowd. <laughs> I, I was. <laughs> and it's time for our Latin word of the day, saltare. That means dance. Ooh. All right, Allie, grab your boombox, put on your dancing shoes, and let me set the scene. Back in the good old days. The 1300s were not a particularly good time for humanity. Wars and battles aside, people went through some tough times. Medieval Christians thought that the apocalypse was upon them. The Little Ice Age started around 1300 and led to an unprecedented rainfall. The extra rain led to the harvest's failure, which directly led to the Great Famine of 1315. Now, as people starved, crime rose. Bakers were accused of putting revolting things in bread, such as the dung of hogs. Ugh! Hold up. <laughs> How bad did their bread taste to begin with if they thought dung wouldn't change the taste of it? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> All right. Sorry. This is why we don't eat bread, right? <laughs> <laughs> that and it would literally kill me. At least, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Back on track. <laughs> Some people were so hungry that they dug up the bodies in the churchyards and used them as food, while others ate their children and children ate their parents. When the Great Famine finally ended, an estimated 10% of the population of Northern Europe perished. It's unknown if it was because they were eaten to death or because they starved to death. But by the end of 1317, the harvests began to stabilize, but it took another five years before supplies were replenished. After the failed crops and hunger, people speculated that the prophecies of the end of time were coming true. They kept looking for the next horseman. And there, in the distance, rode pestilence. Sidebar, don't ruin my flow and email me. 
Pestilence isn't a modern horseman of the apocalypse, but he was one in the book of Revelations. I had to research all sorts of things <laughs> about the horsemen <laughs> of the apocalypse and who they were and what horses and I, I rabbit hole and time off. <laughs> oh, I bet. All right, back to the Dark Ages. They kept looking for the next horseman and there in the distance rode Pestilence. Now, he was a very slow rider. He might have gotten lost. He didn't arrive until 1347, but he brought with him the Black Plague. Now, this is an episode on the Black Plague, but as I'm sure you remember from history class, about a third of the European population died. That's That's all. all? (laughs) One out of of every three people. (laughs) By the mid-1350s, the Black Plague began to subside, and medieval life went back to normal. Or did it? Let's fast forward a tiny bit. The memory of the Great Famine and the Black Death is fresh on people's minds. One killed 10% and the other killed 33% of those who remained. Wow. Ellie, I want you to imagine something for me. You're in a church. Burning. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) You're not. It's the Middle Ages. Everybody was a church back then. Okay, okay. (laughs) You're in a church praying for salvation from the plague, famine, war, and other horrors of the Middle Ages. When suddenly you feel the urge to get up and bust a move. Hmm. I've seen churches like this. Usually there are snakes involved. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, in the year 1374, a mere 20 years after the Black Plague and less than 60 years after the Great Famine, a German town, Aix-la-Chapelle, was afflicted with a different type of plague. Why does the German town have a French name? <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> oh, 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 sorry. <laughs> oh, wow. I, I hadn't even read that part. <laughs> No worries. You can tell I skimmed this one real quick. (laughs) Well, if you've never heard of Aix-la-Chapelle, that's because it's now called Aachen. (laughs) Anywho, bodies convulsed, people screamed, and, quote, foamed with fury. A book by Justice Friedrich Karl Hecker, written in 1844, claimed that the dance moves were frantic and erratic. These moves made the town folk appear possessed. People joined hands in a circle and danced for hours in wild delirium. They danced and danced until they fell to the ground in exhaustion. The dancer had a strange aversion of the color red for some reason. No details as how that was found out. Some of the dancers, quote, groaned as if in the agonies of death. Bystanders rushed to swaddle them in clothes around their waists until they recovered. But then the dance would start anew. This dancing epidemic was not confined to small localities, but took over the whole of Germany and neighboring countries. Holy cow! <laughs> Soon they <laughs> spread to Liege, Utrecht, Tongres, and other towns in Belgium. One source claimed that the only relief these dancers had were from the kicks and blows of bystanders. Which I'm sure many gladly delivered. It sounds exactly like a mosh pit. (laughs) A Middle Ages mosh pit. Yeah. In Liege, some priests perform exorcisms, while in other places, officials banned all but square-toed shoes. The exorcisms and the shoe banning seemed to work in Belgium. But when this dance mania hit Cologne, Germany, more than 500 people seemed to be possessed. Others say that there were as many as 1,100 dancers. Even worse, Ellie, 
this is absolutely horrible, I don't know if I should say this, but 100 unmarried women were seen raving. (gasps) The horror. Unmarried women dancing. Disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) Whores. All of them. How dare they? (laughs) Now, the dance-a-thon soon died out. Four months later, everyone went back to their daily duties. No word as to what happened to those unmarried women. (laughs) Now, let's fast forward about 50 years. In the 1400s, there was another outbreak in Strasbourg, France. Unlike the other outbreaks, this time the church decided to embrace it. You can't see me, but I totally did air quotes around the word embrace. As people danced, the unafflicted danced with them but only in as far as to help form a procession to get them into the church. I mean, I'm imagining like a conga line here. (laughs) Yeah, me too. That's exactly what I'm seeing in my head. (laughs) Now, once inside the church, the dancers were provided with a sermon. Then the procession continued to the altar where they made alms. Now it's alleged that the dancing stopped once they made alms at the altar of St. Vitus. Did you ever hear of him? I haven't. Is he vital? He is a very interesting <laughs> character. He's a saint. Back in his day, he was persecuted by the Christians, and just before he, quote, bent his neck to the sword, he supposedly prayed to God to protect believers from the dancing mania. Very specific. Yeah. <laughs> now, this is also why the dancing plague is also known as St. Vitus's dance. Revenge. Before you send me a message saying this isn't what St. Vitus' dance is, well, it was back then. In the late 17th century, the term St. Vitus's dance came to mean a different medical condition, an inflammatory response to strep throat or rheumatic fever. That's way less fun. <laughs> Before then, it was used to describe the dancing plague. There is historical evidence of similar and mysterious dance outbreaks as far as the 7th century. I couldn't find many details about these earlier dancing manias other than they happened. People danced, people died, the end. All right, and that's our show, everyone. Eh, I can't. There is another quite possibly and very likely dramatized version of another dancing outbreak in Germany. In 1021 or 1027, depending on the source, in Kolbig, Germany, 18 peasants disturbed service on Christmas Eve. They danced right outside the church. How dare they? (gasps) Rude. I wonder if there were any unmarried women between them. I bet there were. (laughs) (laughs) So the priest, with his magical power, inflicted a curse upon them. I imagine it was something along the lines of, Damn you dastardly dancers, you ruined my divine sermon. I hereby curse you to one full year of nonstop dancing and screaming. But with a German accent. I'm not going to even pretend to do a German accent. (laughs) I sound like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger when I do. (laughs) (laughs) That's Austrian. (laughs) That's why I'm not doing it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if those were the exact words he said, but I wasn't there. Sounds legit to me, though. I agree. Also, nonstop screaming seems to be a punishment for everyone. Literally, anyone within hearing distance. So these 18 peasants danced and danced and danced until they sank knee-deep into the earth. No mention of anyone murdering them because of their incessant screaming. But allegedly, two pious bishops interceded on their behalf. The dancers then fell into a deep slumber, and four of them died. Just gonna skim by that part. (laughs) 
We don't know what they died of, you know? (laughs) Who knows? The other 14 lived their lives with trembling limbs. Another dance outbreak happened in Erfurt, Germany in 1247. Now, as 200 people danced and twerked, the procession made it onto a bridge that collapsed, drowning them all. Oh! That dance party ended real fast. (laughs) So clearly there was a wee touch of embellishment in some of these dancing outbreaks. But the 1374 outbreak did actually happen as there is an abundance of historical proof rather than a story passed down through generations. While the details may be exaggerated, we know that people danced uncontrollably and some died as a result. Now there's another very well-documented outbreak that happened in 1518 in Strasbourg, France again. Renaissance physician Paracelsus left some detailed descriptions of this outbreak. Furthermore, municipal orders, chronicles, and sermons lent credence to his account. Paracelsus visited Strasbourg eight years after the plague and became fascinated by its causes. The historical accounts even name patient zero. Dancer zero? Anywho, Frau Trophia started dancing on July 14th outside of her house. There was no music. Her husband begged her to stop, but she continued dancing until the night fell. She collapsed in a heap of exhaustion and swollen feet. Yet the next day, she got right back up and started dancing again. And by the third day, people started taking note of this. I mean, if my neighbor was just dancing in the street, I'd, I'd notice a lot quicker than three days, but that, that's just me. Your neighbor doesn't do that regularly? No, they do not. And she did this for a little under a week. The authorities sent her 30 miles away so she could be cured by the shrine of St. Vitus. I mean, if my neighbor was just dancing in the street, I'd, I'd notice a lot quicker than three days, but that, that's just me. Your neighbor doesn't do that regularly? No, no they do not. Hmm. <laughs> but wait, there's more. Some of the bystanders began dancing as she was on her trip. And within days, 30 choreomaniacs, as they were called, were dancing. Wow. More and more people joined. Now, the clergy said this was the work of the vengeful St. Vitus. The doctors said this was a natural disease from overheated blood. Hmm. So, because of the amazing doctoring skills of the 1500, the afflicted must continue dancing until they can dance no more. You know, starve a fever, feed a dance. That makes sense. Yeah, totally. I guess. (laughs) Science. Another account from an architect from the time said that the council ordered that guild halls be transformed into temporary dance halls and platforms should be set up in markets. They wanted to expedite the dancers' recovery, so the town hired drummers, fiddlers, and pipers. They encouraged the non-afflicted to dance with the afflicted. But as I'm sure you can imagine, this backfired. Another account of this event from the Imland family states that within one month, 400 people were dancing. Oh, no. (laughs) It did backfire. (laughs) It did the opposite of help. (laughs) Who would have thought? (laughs) Now, all of these accounts are from the Strasbourg Municipal Archive as gathered and translated by various authors. The council, realizing this wasn't their best idea, ordered that all stages be taken down and all dance and music be prohibited until September. One chancellor, Sebastian Brandt, did provide an exception to this rule. 
If honorable persons wish to dance at weddings or celebrations for a first mass in their houses, they may do so using stringed instruments. But uh, they are on their conscience not to use tambourines or drums. That was an amazing accent. Do you speak French? French was uh, <laughs> one of my first languages. So. <laughs> there was no explanation of the word honorable. Probably not on married women, though. Hmm. They're definitely not honorable. No, I bet, I bet they don't fit in that category. All right, I want you to keep the name <laughs> Sebastian Brandt in the back of your mind. He'll be back. The council also ordered any dancer be thrown onto a wagon and driven 30 miles to St. Vitus' Shrine. A couple of episodes ago, we did the math. 30 miles is like a three-day trip back then. Oof. You know, I can hike 30 miles in like four days. I don't know why they needed a cart, but whatever. <laughs> Lazy. <laughs> and the reason they wanted to go to St. Vitus' Shrine is because Frau Torfia was cured when she visited the shrine. Now, what the accounts fail to mention is if they were dancing as the cart moved. And if the driver threatened to pull the cart over, do I need to turn this cart around? (laughs) So priests would carry the writhing, thrashing, gyrating dancers and place them in front of the St. Vitus' shrine. And they would give them crosses to hold and red shoes to wear. I don't know this obsession with red. Weird. Were they glittery? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, maybe. I don't know if they had to like tap their... They're healed or something. <laughs> they sprinkled holy water, and dancers would slowly cease dancing. It's said that hundreds of people may have perished. It's estimated that up to 15 dancers collapsed and died each day. Wow. The exact number of casualties is unknown as no official records were kept. A totally random thought here that just like popped into my head. I wonder if these retellings inspired Hans Christian Andersen's The Red Shoes story. Have you ever heard of that one? Yeah. That's a good, maybe. I mean, how often do red shoes come up in history? The only other one I can think of is the ruby shoes from uh, One with the Flying Monkeys, whatever that's called. Was that before or after Hans Anderson Christian or Hans Christian? I think after. Well, geez, I don't know now. (laughs) I think it was after him. (laughs) I don't know. I wasn't there. That's my excuse for everything. (laughs) (laughs) As I mentioned, there were many, 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 many dancing plagues. These plagues occurred centuries apart, and while Germany seems to be at the center of it, some happened in Belgium, the Netherlands, France, and even Italy. There were some commonalities, though. The same vivid, maniacal dance description, and the same outbursts from the dancers. Some of these dancers claimed that they saw visions of saints or demons, that they felt a hot sensation in their feet that compelled them to dance. Some said that they felt as if they'd been immersed in a stream of blood that caused them to jump. That's an escalation. (laughs) (laughs) Some saw visions, some had hot feet, some were immersed in a stream of blood. (laughs) People would just suddenly spring up and begin contorting their bodies as if there was a song that only they could hear. The dancers, in agony, flailed, and some of them died after breaking, quote, Ribs or loins? Oh, sounds horrible. (laughs) How can a curse or a disease affect thousands of people across different regions and times? How can vision or sensations make people dance nonstop for hours or days? Well, some theories try to answer these questions. They blame it on tarantism, ergot poisoning, mass hysteria, and other psychological issues. Now, 
Before I break down why these events may have happened, I have to cover just one more dance plague. Let's travel forward in time about 100 years and go from Germany to Italy. Although these plagues are not as well documented, they are just as absurd. I found this journal article from the 1950s that said in the heel of the Italian boot, that that was the actual location, (laughs) there was a spider scare in the 1600s. Tarantulas, which are not venomous, were apparently venomous in the city of Puglia. During the summer, people would feel a sharp sting, like a bee, and they would just know that it must be a tarantula. No one thought tarantulas are big, scary things. You would see them. But whatever. (laughs) So once they felt this sharp sting, they would run into the street and start dancing. Ah, that's also what I do when I get stung by things. (laughs) I was stung by a black widow. I did not run into the street dancing. Just throwing that out there. (laughs) (laughs) They would be joined by others who were, like them, bitten by the tarantula. Even those who were bitten years ago would join in a dance. There were some accounts of people dying because they danced too much, laughed too much, or wept too much. This malady affected women more than men. Don't know if they were married or not, though. Mm, I bet they were unmarried. (laughs) Now, here's a quote from a guy named Giorgio Baivi from the late 1600s. This was translated in the article because I don't speak Italian. Dressed in queer attire, group of tarantists, you know, those who are bitten by these magical venomous tarantulas, would gather to dance wildly. They are most delighted by clothes of a gay color, such as red, green, and yellow. (laughs) On the other hand, they cannot endure black. (laughs) I don't know what's up with all that language, but I just had to include it. (laughs) So Northern Europeans, Germans, and people from Belgium, I don't know what people from Belgium are called. Belgians? Belgians? Flemish? Flemish? I don't know. Belgians? Non-Germans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Germans and their neighbors had an aversion to red, but the Italians just couldn't stand black. Now, this quote goes on to explain that some people tore their clothes off and danced naked, yet still held a piece of red cloth. Since some dancers called for swords and began to fence. Others asked for whips and beat each other. Women made indecent motions. <laughs> I need details here. (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) This account is so specific when it comes to colors and their gayness and fencing. But women just made indecent motions. One last bit of detail that to me explains everything. As all of this was going on, the dancers consumed large quantities of wine. Oh, you should have led with that. (laughs) Although it was Italy. I imagine they drank a lot of wine in in that period, so. (laughs) In all periods? This period? Last period? Yeah, probably. (laughs) Clearly, it wasn't the tarantulas who, again, aren't even venomous. They're scary. (laughs) Scary, yes, but not venomous. (laughs) Others tried to explain the dancing played as a symptom of ergot poisoning. Now, ergot is a mold that grows on rye and can cause hallucinations, spasms, and tremors. Rule number one, bring your own drugs. (laughs) I can't, I don't do drugs. I I don't (laughs) I'm such a good girl here, I wouldn't even know where to get drugs. (laughs) Corners, you buy them at corners, I've seen it on TV. Is that what they're doing? I live like right next to Camden, and I didn't know that's what they were doing on the corner. Yeah, 
Selling drugs, probably. Now I know. (laughs) Both the 1374 and the 1518 dancing plagues occurred after famines due to torrential flooding, which also promotes mold growth. It's thought that these dancers ingested this mold through contaminated flour. In other words, these dancers were just dripping balls. (laughs) But this theory has some problems. For one thing, ergot poisoning usually affects isolated communities, not large urban areas, where the dancing plague happened. There's also no evidence that what the victims ate or drank made any difference. Another thing, ergot poisoning causes more than just dancing. It also causes nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, headaches, and loss of limbs. I like that one. (laughs) No mention if they were naked or not, though. (laughs) Ah, bummer. I know that escalated quickly. Yeah, that, that, um, <laughs> if you had to pick one, <laughs> you know, if they lost their limbs, they really wouldn't dance for days. No. And you know what, Ellie? Here's your random fact of the day ergot is used to make LSD. Wow. I didn't know that. I had to, I, I learned that as I was writing this. <laughs> <laughs> Another theory is that the dancers were part of a heretical cult that was dancing to gain divine favor. I like that one. <laughs> No mention if they were naked or not, though. (laughs) Ah, bummer. There are accounts, according to one historian, of cults from the 1500s that practiced entranced dancing close to the Black Forest and where the Rhine River entered the North Sea. These dancers would deliberately enter a trance and dance. Now, Paracelsus gives my absolute favorite theory. You ready for this? I am. It's because they were unhappily married women. (laughs) Well... That makes perfect sense. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Paracelsus claimed that Frau Trophia did it to annoy her husband. (laughs) (laughs) I'm liking this gal. Frau Trophia? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to dance to embarrass him. (laughs) All right, his quote, In order to make the deception as perfect as possible and really give the impression of illness, she hopped and sang, which was most distasteful to her husband. According to Paracelsus, other women followed her example and started dancing to exasperate their husbands, driven by free, lewd, and impertinent thoughts. Ah, my favorite kind. (laughs) But you know, that doesn't explain why the men were dancing as well. It wasn't 100% women. Yeah, maybe they were dancing to annoy their husbands. I don't know. This was medieval. (laughs) (laughs) The color red was considered gay, so I don't think... Paracelsus categorized this kind of dancing mania as chorea lasciva, triggered by lustful desires. One of the three types of the chorea disorder. The other two are chorea imaginativa, triggered by the imagination, and chorea naturalis, a less severe form triggered by physical causes. Now, Paracelsus does deserve some credit for placing the source of the disease within the dancers rather than a del- uh, religious cause. But he was also a misogynist whose diagnosis is pretty damn absurd. Yeah, I'm not buying it. <laughs> the most accepted theory is that of medical historian John Waller. He believes that it was a form of mass psychogenic disorder. Because of the famines, the outbreaks of smallpox and syphilis, and just the normal everyday stress of being a peasant in the Middle Ages, and because of the strong belief in St. Vitus or other religious entities, people were just more susceptible to letting loose and believe not it, that it was not by choice. Essentially, the dancers were victims of mass hysteria and psychological contagion. Mass hysteria is when a group of people share a delusion or an emotion and act on it collectively, 
whereas a psychological contagion is when one person's behavior influences another through observation or imitation. These dancers were influenced by a combination of social stress, religious fervor, and cultural expectations. They saw other people dancing and joined them out of fear, guilt, or excitement. Now, I want to end this with a poem written by Sebastian Brandt, you know, one of the chancellors from Strasbourg. He wrote this poem in 1494, 25 years before the dancing plague happened, in his book Ship of Fools. I'm not going to read it with a French accent. I'm I'm sorry to disappoint. (laughs) There's not more evil here on earth than giddy dancing gaily done. If some class that as recreation, I call it base abomination. Some crave for dances many a tide, whom dances never satisfied. So even before the dancing plague of 1518, there was already talk of this being divine punishment for sin. Interesting. I kind of want to read the Ship of Fools book. Yeah. (laughs) Although I don't know if it was done in French, but eh, I don't know. I couldn't read it then. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the truth is we don't know what caused the dancing plague. It remains one of the mysteries of history that baffles and amuses us to this day. Maybe we should just accept that it was one of those things that happened for no reason at all. Maybe just enjoy the absurdity and humor of it all. Who knows? Maybe it was the medieval predecessor to flash mobs and all that was actually just staged. It's wild that at any point in in human history, people dance to death. Please tell me that we don't do that anymore. Sorry to break it to you, but we still dance to death, although not as literally as the Middle Ages dancing plague. While we may not see recent cases of people mysteriously and uncontrollably dancing themselves to death, we do still see people party a little too hard at concerts and festivals. In 2014 in Toronto, two people died and more than a dozen others became sick after ingesting drugs bought at a festival. Rule number one, bring your own (laughs) drugs. (laughs) <laughs> I can't. I don't do drugs. I can't. <laughs> I'm such a good girl here. I wouldn't even know where to get drugs. <laughs> corners. You buy them at corners. I've seen it on TV. Is that what they're doing? I live like right next to Camden and I didn't know that's what they were doing on the corner. Yeah. Selling drugs, probably. Now I know. <laughs> One festival fatality in Australia was thought to have been caused by mixing alcohol and large quantities of MDMA. Like nine pills. That seems like a lot to me. I I don't know. It seems like a lot. Yeah, I don't know. In fact, over the course of one week in 2019, five people at four different Australian festivals died after ingesting MDMA. The LA Times profiled 29 drug-related deaths at raves between 2006 and 2017. The most common drug found in their toxicology report was ecstasy. One research paper published in 2014 tracked hospital admissions after several New York-based concerts and found that 95% of those admitted into hospitals had drugs or alcohol in their system. Wow. MDMA, aka Molly, aka ecstasy, was the cause in half of these admissions. Now, we're not here to shame anybody. We're just saying if you're going to party, party responsibly. Yeah, I know where you're getting your stuff from. Right? And what's in it? (laughs) Not all deaths are drug-related, though. In 2022, a man in Houston was dancing on top of an 18-wheeler. While it was in motion, mind you, Felon died while he was filming himself for Facebook. I feel like I could have called that one. Maybe you shouldn't dance on top of moving vehicles. (laughs) 
From a non-dance, drugless perspective, we have many modern cases of mass hysteria as well. In the 1960s, in a school in Tanzania, three girls started laughing. They couldn't stop. Other girls began laughing as well. Then the laughter spread to girls' villages. It took two and a half years before the laughing abated and over a thousand peoples were afflicted in Tanganyika, as Tanzania was known back then, and in Uganda as well. In 2001, there were many power outages in East Delhi, India, and many people slept on the roofs to escape the heat. Some people started reporting that a mysterious creature, part man, part monkey, attacked them. Some even had bite marks to show to the doctors. The monkey man's identity remains unknown. Another case of mass hysteria in India in 2017 blamed invisible spirits, burka-clad figures, and men-wielding tridents for women's braids being lopped off. Now, Africa and Asia do not have a monopoly on modern-day mass hysteria. Do you remember the cloud sightings in 2016? (laughs) I do. It feels like it was decades ago. (laughs) Not even 10 years ago. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) It all started with a young boy in Greenville, South Carolina. Then it spreads and everybody was seeing clowns everywhere. Sightings were reported in half of the states, from Alabama all the way to Wisconsin. In fact, after three clowns were allegedly spotted near the campus, about 500 Pennsylvania State University students flooded the streets to hunt for these clowns, literally and figuratively. (laughs) Now, I didn't even touch on satanic panic or the Navy Training Center wheezing incident in the 80s, because we're definitely (laughs) going to cover that later. (laughs) Or even the high school in Virginia in 2007, where students were twitching and reporting tremors, headaches, and dizziness. And regardless of all of these mass hysteria examples I gave, only two people died. Both fell off the roof escaping the monkey man. Oh, well, that doesn't even really count. They were just... (laughs) (laughs) I guess it does. I guess it does. You guys count. It It does. It does. Everybody counts. long didn't listen? In summary, starting in 1021, people danced in a church and were cursed to dance for a full year. Then, many times over the next several centuries, ending in the early 1500s, dance outbreak continues with hundreds of deaths. People danced until they dropped, and others danced till they died. Some of the wide array of theorized causes include them being work of the devil, divine punishment, tarantulas, ergot poisoning, psychological breakdowns, mass hysteria, or just because, you know, they were unhappily married women. If I had to have a disease or a curse, I suppose there are worse things than dancing and laughing. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it depends. I mean, I have bad knees, so I, I don't know how long I could do this. That's true. I'm old. I do have a bit of a correction sent to us by our number one fan, Brittany. My Chinese pronunciation is a bit off. In episode three, we talked about the bright price in the Chinese village. I pronounced it as Shahia. Apparently, I was wrong and it's pronounced. I'm going to play Britney's soundbite here and not even going to try to pronounce it again. <laughs> we aren't linguists, but we do make every effort to get it right. And if we get it wrong or have a fact or a date wrong, please let us know. But before we leave you, I do want to recap our score of the good old days versus today. If you haven't listened to any other episode, this is a good place to end. So go ahead. We'll wait while you exit so we don't give you any spoilers. All right. (laughs) 
So we no longer dig up the dead and put them on trial. And while our court system is far from perfect, it's a definite improvement. So one zero. Do you agree with me here? I do. I do. We also no longer dig up bodies, burn them, and snort them to protect ourselves because, you know, science. (laughs) So that's a resounding win for today. Definitely. (laughs) All right. Two nothing. We also don't kill entire towns and kill dogs and cats and rats to avenge broken hearts. But while we reserve judgment, people still do things that don't quite fit into our Western worldview. I'll still call it a win, though. So three nothing. Yeah. Our fourth episode talked about doctoring and tabloid fodder. And while doctoring has greatly improved over our good old days, tabloids have gotten far worse. So we'll call that a draw. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Our fifth episode is also what I would consider a draw. We don't have human pooper scoopers and we don't dance on coffins, but we work more than the average medieval peasant. So for those keeping track, that's three, oh, and two. During episode 11, we'll continue adding to our score just to see if the good old days were truly the good old days. And that's all we got for you today. Join us every other week for another story from the annals of history. If you enjoy this, please go and rate us on your favorite podcast platform. We cannot do this without your support, and we want to hear from you. So send us an email and let us know. Find us online at OhTheGodPod. That's O-H-T-H-E-G-O-D-P-O-D. We are on Instagram. We're on threads. We're on YouTube. We're on Facebook. Find us. Follow us. Let us know your thoughts. And if you go on our website, you can click on any of the links if you don't want to remember them. Yep. (laughs) You know what, Ellie? Maybe the good old days weren't so good after all.